Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. Hey, man, are you ready to do a podcast with your favorite person in the whole world? I hope so. I, I've got a case of the giggles today. Yeah. Well, okay. If you're listening to this podcast, it's next week already, but we <laughs> recorded a, a doubleheader. In the future, so, the past <laughs> we did this has once. occurred. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so doubleheader. This, this is our second recording. Two a days. We'll let you right? behind the curtain of this super professional podcast. Uh, we are actually uh, having... <laughs> We have a conference in Denver, Colorado. Sunshine State. That we're going to, the, the Sunshine State. Uh, next week that we're going to, we're really excited about it. It's uh, XYPN, the XY Planning Network. That's for Generation X and Y. Back when the Generation Y is not called, it's millennials, right? Yeah. Um, I wonder why we gave up the Gen Y thing. Maybe we didn't want to ride the Gen X coattails. I guess I'm okay with saying Gen Y because I don't want to be called a millennial. <laughs> the connotation of millennial is still like a college student now but millennials are old yeah, millennials are <laughs> taking care of their parents right now. yeah millennials are, are bitter yeah. life has really gotten to them we would know uh <laughs> so we're going to the conference and it's i'm excited about it you and i other jason temp are all the going temp, yeah and uh, it should be a blast we're gonna hear some good speakers learn a lot about our industry hear the new bleeding edge uh technologies and stuff that we're gonna do Cool. What, were you looking at me like bleeding edge? I've never heard bleeding edge You've before. never heard that? Maybe I'm not a real millennial then. Well, probably not. Cutting edge used to be yeah. the like, main new fresh thing, yeah. but that wasn't enough. So if you think about the cutting edge, mm -hmm. what's it cutting against? The bleeding edge. Yikes. So it's even further, and I think it just probably gets grosser as you get uh, more down that lane. So we just stopped at bleeding edge, I think. I don't know. I'm not really I'm in the tech world. I have to believe you because Temp calls me a boomer anyway. So That's true. I taught him to do that. Yeah, you did. Uh, but I, I'm excited about that. That's why we're re recording a doubleheader. Uh, Two gonna, a day. We're going to fight through our fatigue. We didn't plan this out very well because... We're drinking two different drinks on this one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Great transition. Yeah. Caleb, today's drink. It's long overdue. I don't know how we have gone this long without covering this drink. Our friends in New Orleans will be happy, hopefully, if they're still around. <laughs> hey, I hope they continue to watch. We did one New Orleans favorite, possibly my favorite cocktail of all time already. Still, right? Still. Still. The Vucare. This is a sibling to that drink, I assume, just because of the New Orleans connection. Sazerac, baby. We're yeah. drinking Sazeracs today. Yes, sir. Caleb, I've been really excited about trying a Sazerac or having... Well, we had one already. I've had them before. We had a couple out of those books up there, actually. I was not thrilled. I was not thrilled. No, but remember at the New Rift Distillery, what's their bar called? The Aquifer. That's where I had the first Sazerac that I liked. It was nice, yeah. And that was quite delicious. There was a gentleman sitting at the bar who said, hey guys, yes. do yourselves a favor and order a Sazerac. And we did. Yeah. Well, you did. Yeah. I was driving, so I only had That's a sip true. of yours. That was a good day. But it was delicious. <laughs> and yeah. uh, this is the first time we've really given it the old try of making, mm -hmm. and we found some history on it. It's a, it's a, it's it's got a rich and storied history. It, it really does. Out, and it's such a popular drink that many have written about it. 
Yeah, so I I think maybe we should you should think we should cover history before we get into the ingredients. Because yeah, we're, yeah, we're doing two different cocktails. Let's here. Let's do the history. Yeah, we got two types of the uh, the Sazerac here. Do, would you want to go? Well, I, I just looked a little bit up on liquor.com. That's a pretty reliable source in general, and it, it kind of points to some other references. But Sazerac is really, and while making this drink, it it's a uh, it's a close cousin to the old fashioned, if you will. Mm-hmm. Very similar in some regards. Apparently, this one's been around since 1838. Other reports really putting it closer to, well, some say the later 1800s. It was trademarked in 1900 by the Sazerac Company. The Sazerac Company, by the way, now owns some brands that you probably are familiar with, like Buffalo Trace. 1792, I think, is under Sazerac brands. So, But the Sazerac drink in itself was around before that. It's really always been a New Orleans-based cocktail, okay? Yes. So it's believed that the first brand or the the first Sazeracs were made with brandy, which was kind of a surprise to me because I I think I've only had these made with rye, and so we we have a couple of different recipes here. But yeah, what what I found here was that it was believed to be first made with French brandy, Sazerac de Forge et Fils, to be exact. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but in children, that's French. Is that what that means? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Or Fils is sons, probably. Sons. Is Sazerac. it just F I L S? Of Forge and Sons. Yeah, there you go. All right, okay. So one of the mainstay ingredients in here is Pechaud's Bitters, which goes way back to mm. the early Sazeracs, and we use those in both of these, invented by New Orleans resident Antoine Pechaud. I think one of the twists that makes this a little different than the old-fashioned is the addition of absinthe. That's right. It's, an, it's a frequent old-timey addition to drinks, it seems it, like. Yeah, it really is. Now, you've got some history there. Anytime we can, we consult. David Wondrich, right? David yeah. Wondrich? David. Yes. Yeah. Our old buddy Dave. Like Dave Embry, <laughs> Dave yeah. Wondrich. Turns out uh, some of our favorite cocktail writers are named David. Caleb, I can't really, I can't summarize this that well because it's quite long, his, okay. his section in Imbibe, and I am not going to do it justice. Uh, but you had uh, Jerry Thomas making a version in the early, early 1900s. Yep. You had the history of some drinks coming up in the in the 18, mid, late 1800s, like you said. The thing that is clear is that it's New Orleans-based. New Orleans. That's where it's happened. It's Creole. There are a couple, a couple kings of the Sazerac, Billy Wilkinson and Vincent Murray. These guys helped to move it forward the most, but... As far as a common ground on what the actual the recipe for the Sazerac is, we don't really have it. Like everybody had their own version of this drink. It seems like I think we commonly then. find absinthe and Pechaud's bitters. Yeah, that'll help make it a Sazerac. And, yeah, and a spirit, and uh, you know, you go from there. You garnish it. Well, you right? say a spirit. The Savoy cocktail book, which is uh, you know a kind yeah. of a cocktail bible, they <laughs> they call for Canadian club whiskey. No. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. that seems to be the basic elements, though. Pechaud's bitters, absinthe, and some booze. The ingredients, before we go to the ingredients that we have, I'll give mm-hmm. basically uh, a summary quick of Wondrich's notes on the ingredients for a Sazerac and notes on the execution for a Sazerac. Cool. So, sugar cube, mm-hmm. usually, that's the traditional the traditional thing. He thinks it responds best with a scant teaspoon of real gum syrup. Hmm. We don't. We've never used that, have no. we? He calls for that all the time because that's like the old timey mixing syrup, like simple syrup. Yeah, yeah, but it's a gum syrup. Okay, it's different. I don't know. We'll have to look into that later. And then using a, a, a whiskey in it, he recommends rye. A Maryland rye is usually what he did. Maryland uh, is rye country, though. It is. It? They they make a lot of rye there. Sazerac rye. He's yep. recommending uh, or bonded Rittenhouse rye, which Ooh. we have had and like that quite a bit. 
In New Orleans, though, most people use old Overholt. Okay. That's what we're using today in one of these recipes, right? nailed it. (laughs) Uh, So so he said that if you want to follow the Wilkinson model, you use Angostura bitters, as many bartenders in New Orleans, he says. Only Angostura, though? Yeah. But many bartenders go with a dash or two of Peychaud's as well. So they mix them together. Now that's got more of a like a spicy Cajun kind of flavor. It really does. And then so then then Wonder just goes on and says, but the best Sazerac makers in New Orleans only use Peychaud's. Only Peychaud's. So that's what he's saying. Interesting. So a mix of them, he he says is great. I would trust his palate is better than ours, but it's perfectly okay. You can have a Sazerac with Angostura and Peychaud's or just Peychaud's or whatever, really. That's that's kind of his notes on the the ingredients but something interesting that i read that we did not do is frappéing a glass so filling it with shaved ice okay. or finely cracked ice and stirring it in that way that's something we didn't really do i don't know how much it changes the taste and how long you need to mix and all that stuff and wonder kind of talks about that he says uh, paul gustings the best present day new orleans sazerac maker showed him a neat little thing where he puts some absinthe in the bottom of the chilled glass and then gives it a little toss in the air with enough enough english on it for the liquid to spin up the sides of the glass and coat it. Like, if you can master that, and then he just trails off. But go that's a good segue into making the drink and how you made it. Yeah. Because we add absinthe, but we're not drinking a lot of it. No, 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 no. So uh, this would be, I, I would call it uh, an, an absinthe rinse. And basically, I, I put enough in the glass to roll it around and coat the sides and dump out the excess. Yeah. You know, something else that you can do is aerosolize <laughs> absinthe. You can get an aerosol bottle, put a little bit in and, and spritz it into the glass, uh, and it'll just coat the glass. You and I were debating while making these drinks. I don't know. Could I empty one of my, my eyeglass uh, cleaner <laughs> bottles and, and do that it that way? But we just we just poured a little bit in, rolled it around the glass, coated it, and then dumped the excess. I'm not a huge fan of absinthe. I think that in, when it comes to absinthe, just a little bit of a presence is, is enough. A little um, goes a long it, way. It with really absinthe. does. Like you buy a bottle of absinthe. So if you're at home, you the rest <laughs> of your life, really, <laughs> if you're at home and you're you're mixing up some of these cocktails and we call for absinthe, look, I, I know that the price tag on a bottle of absinthe is is uh yeah, it's a little bit uh, it's a little salty for right? a mixer. It's not even your main sure. spirit, uh, but it will go a long, long way. Now, if you're an absinthe drinker, it might not, but I don't know. It's it's pretty vile stuff <laughs> i think by itself so it's pungent let's get into some of the recipes because you know what, what i read was uh, originally cognac being used or some kind of brandy so all cognac is brandy not all brandy is cognac mm-hmm. right so the first one we we did an absinthe rinse put a couple of ounces of cognac in a half an ounce of simple syrup which is pretty sweet in my opinion and then three dashes of pechaud bitters and just garnish with lemon peel and, and stir all that up i thought it was a pretty good drink i was surprised at how much i liked it it was it was refreshing. It was delightfully light and pretty sweet. It was sweet. Um, um, the absinthe did not come through as much as no. in other absinthe cocktails that I've had. And, and I think maybe the simple syrup counteracts that somewhat. Yeah. I think also the Peychaud bitters, the, uh, I don't know, spiciness is the right way of, it, it's got just that little bit of spicy. It that feels Creole somehow. It, it does. Yeah. It, and and I think all of those things were counteracting the absinthe. I yeah. thought it was a pretty good drink. A little sweet for my taste, but you know, I like whiskey. So, yeah, uh, it was a good drink. And I think if you want to try it the old fashioned way, you got to make one with just cognac and and roll with that and see what you think. If you're not a whiskey fan, that might be the way to go. Make a pretty classy, old timey drink. But our listeners do know that we are fans of whiskey. We are. And I can tell you, 
I'm guessing already that you prefer the second recipe. That I we do. Are now sipping now. Now sipping now. Yeah, we are now currently now. sipping and at this also moment, now. currently now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I see. Yeah, no, <laughs> now and now. That's a Midwest thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. No, uh, now we're sipping this now. I do like this better. Again, an absinthe rinse, sugar cube. So we're doing this simple syrup the old-fashioned way with yeah. a sugar cube and a half teaspoon of cold water. Three dashes of Peychaud's, and we're going to throw the Angostura bitters in there. Mm-hmm. I really, really like Angostura bitters. The mix of these two is really interesting. This recipe calls for three dashes of Peychaud's, two dashes of Angostura. I'm going to admit to you, though, I really like Angostura bitters, and every time I see two dashes, I throw four in. <laughs> you rebel. I know. So this one's got four dashes of Angostura, three dashes of Peychaud's, an ounce and a quarter of rye whiskey. We did, in fact, use Old Overholt in this one. Yes, just like the legit Nolens yes. keeps. And then uh, an ounce and a quarter of cognac. Yeah. Uh, garnish with a lemon peel as well. And you got a pretty complex, spicy, sweet, bitter thing going on here. It's a great drink. I, I'm glad that we're having this version. It's, it's complex. There's a lot going on. Yeah. I wonder what it'd be like without cognac at all. Like the, maybe the Savoy recipe yeah, or, or what a lot of right. other folks are doing. Uh, we'll have to try it that way, too. Well, in all fairness, we tried some recipes in those books from before that ha- that called for just rye, but they were also calling for more absinthe, yeah. which kind of blew it for me. Yeah, yeah I, you can easily. It's like using Campari. You you put yeah. a little too much in there and it just wrecks the drink with with its overpowering taste. But just a dash of absinthe is it adds it can enhance the other flavors. Here's the way I'll, I'll describe it. You take the absence out of this and it's nothing special. But too much absinthe and, and it just wrecks it. And, yeah. and uh, So I, I think that you, while I'm not an absinthe fan, you can't have a Sazerac without absinthe. No. It, it definitely adds a different element there. It, it adds another layer of flavor. Yeah, man. For sure. All right. To Sazeracs. To Sazeracs. <laughs> Finance topic. What are we talking about today, Jason? Something that is top of mind for us and many of our clients currently at this time of the year. We're talking about Roth conversions. Yeah. Are Roth conversions as complex as the Sazerac we're sipping on? Possibly more so. (laughs) They are a dangerous, awesome, cool financial planning opportunity uh, that exists out there. But it's complicated. There's a lot going on with a Roth conversion. So I want, well, let's take this time this episode. This is going to be a little bit more of a technical episode. This, but this will apply to you if you are someone that has tax deferred retirement money. Yeah. You have a traditional 401k, a traditional IRA. This is going to, this is going to apply. So listen up. Check it out, y'all. Check it out. <laughs> okay. Look, Caleb, let's start with what I, I broke this episode yeah. down into basically the what, high, wow, how, when, wow. Wow. There is a wow in there because these are great, but. What, why, how, when, and where? Basic okay. questions about a Roth conversion. There's going to be listeners Although out there. I think there. where might be a stretch. It is, but I really had to get where in there. <laughs> you got I to. Mean, if you get the other four in there, right? <laughs> I just like where. I, the bank. I don't know. So, <laughs> okay, let's start with what, though. It's a far more important than where. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where to do a Roth conversion. We'll wait till the end. What is a Roth conversion? Yeah, so like a lot of these finance topics, I think our listeners might be thinking, I've heard of this before, but I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Yeah, and it probably doesn't <laughs> matter. And you might be right. 
Who is this Roth guy anyway? William R. Roth. No, listen yeah, to the episode. No, yeah, we did. A, we did one of those. It was a, a new riff episode, actually, which is great because it brings us back to the Sazerac where that's we had right. our first Sazerac. No, that's a good episode, though, I think. It was a long time ago. But we talked all about Roths, how they came about, why they're such a great thing. Yeah. Which leads us into why a Roth conversion. But first, what is a Roth conversion? The, the question that you just asked me. What? What is a Roth conversion? So basically, it's this. You have traditional IRA assets or 401k assets, basically tax-deferred retirement assets, meaning money comes out of your paycheck, it goes into your retirement account, in the IRS's eyes, you defer the taxes. It grows, and eventually when you take it out, then you pay the taxes later, okay? I know that might sound really elementary to some of you and others. Maybe that's helpful. But it's important when we're talking about a Roth conversion. So the idea is we're taking those traditional deferred assets and we're turning them into Roth assets. Mm -hmm. Converting. Yeah, converting. (laughs) So what do we know about Roth? That is tax deferred and, if you do it correctly, tax-free growth Yes. Right over the long term. So I think that maybe we should remind our listeners what a Roth actually is because I, I often hear, oh, yeah, I have a Roth IRA. And sometimes that's synonymous with I have some kind of retirement account. It might not necessarily be the case. So the idea is settling up on taxes that are owed on traditional assets in order to convert to something that will never be taxed again in a Roth. Right? Yeah, simply. An an important feature of that converting from a traditional IRA or traditional 401k to a Roth, Mm -hmm. taking the money out of the traditional IRA, putting it into a Roth... You said settling up on taxes. Yep. That's going to happen. You just you've you've got earned income now yeah. or you've got ordinary income from the conversion. A cool feature is and just on last week's episode we talked about penalties for early withdrawals. Yes. They do not apply to a Roth conversion. You don't pay a tax penalty when you convert. Because yeah. it's still in an IRA. You know, that's funny. We didn't talk about that in the last episode. We were <laughs> saving it for now, I think. <laughs> we were. We were. <laughs> Yeah, uh, think taxable event when we're, we're talking about Roth conversions. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that important little detail. You and I have both seen it where tax time rolls around and a client calls up and says, hey, what the heck? Yeah. We talked about this, remember? Yeah, we're doing a Roth <laughs> conversion. I have to Why pay do taxes. I owe so much in taxes? Why are my taxes higher? Well, <laughs> you realized some income off of that. Caleb, I think that's a great description of what a Roth conversion is. Now, the meaty parts yes. that everyone wants to know. We know that this exists. We know that you can convert money from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. But why would you do it? I'll put it this way. Tax deferred is great. Yes. What's better than tax deferred? Tax free, right? Yeah. So the the differentiation between traditional IRA, which is tax deferral, and Roth IRA, which is tax free, as long as you do it the right way. The idea is tax free income in retirement. And, you know, I've said this on episodes before, you know, I'm always looking at things from a tax perspective. Work that tax code, folks. Work that tax code. (laughs) The idea of traditional IRA assets, 401ks, is this. While you're earning and making money now, wouldn't you like to defer some of these taxes while you're in a high tax bracket so that eventually down the road in retirement, when you're making less money and earning less and will be in a lower tax bracket, you can take that money out at a lower tax bracket. Yeah. That all sounds good. But as I've said before, you said it as well, 
if you think you're going to be in a lower tax bracket down the road, this is just my personal opinion. I don't think I'll ever be in a lower tax bracket. That's not a commentary on my income. <laughs> it's a commentary on where we're going as far as taxes go. Yeah. So think of all the money that we're spending as a country now. Think of all the stimulus. Mm-hmm. We all like stimulus, but um, you know, eventually tax bill comes due. Yeah, you you can only defer that so far. Right. So that's a long way of saying that's tax deferral. I'm saying, wouldn't you rather pay taxes now when maybe you're in a lower tax bracket and defer those gains and also make them tax-free when they come out in retirement so that when you inevitably will be in a higher tax bracket, you're not paying taxes anymore. Yeah. So it really comes down to control. Absolutely. We know what the tax law is right now. We don't know what it's going to be in 5, 10, 15 years, but we can guess that it's going to be... Higher and worse. And, and I feel like if, if we did a poll of our listeners and a poll of our clients and asked them, where do you think taxes will be 20 years from now, higher or lower? I, I really, I don't think many people would answer lower. Before this episode comes out, we'll have put up a we poll. We should do that. Let's put a yeah, poll. Great. Do you think taxes are going up or going down over the next 10, 15 years? Good idea. Let's do that. And uh, the results are in. You all said they're going up. <laughs> Hopefully we don't have to go back and edit that. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> but yeah, so if you can control, that's that's really a big why of a Roth conversion. It's great to get that tax deferral uh, to contribute to a traditional IRA or a 401k because you, you know you might have an income tax problem right now. You might, and it's pretty likely that you'll have an income tax problem later too, especially yeah. as your IRA balance compounds yes. and grows and grows. Because remember... We're not being simple-minded. No, we need to be compound-minded. <laughs> so we're compounding this over over the years. Now we got an income problem, and you want to take fifty thousand dollars out of your IRA to pay for a huge family vacation. Yeah, and I know we've we've uh, we're about to beat this to death here, but let's put it this yeah. way: if you have a hundred thousand dollars in traditional IRA IRA assets, and you've got twenty or so years before you retire, wouldn't you rather pay taxes now on a hundred thousand dollars? Versus the $500,000 that that could grow to. I mean, if you think about it and you you do a conversion and say, yes, I'm willing to pay taxes on these $100,000 right now. And in exchange for that, I'm going to have a $500,000 IRA. I'm I'm just kind of making up numbers, but let's say it's $500,000 when you go to retire. That's $400,000 worth of growth that you never paid taxes on. That's better. I like not paying taxes. And why does the IRS let us do this? Because they are simple-minded, not <laughs> compound-minded. They will take what they can get right now. They need the money now, yes. not later. They like getting the revenue now. And in our Roth IRA episode, we talked about that because the Roth seems like such a great deal. Well, yeah, you that's think, why. What's the catch? Why would the IRS agree to this? They'll take whatever they can get and, now. You know, if they you talk, love the Roth. You talk to your tax preparer even who is thinking a lot like the IRS, except like in opposite terms. I want to give them as little as possible right now. Yeah. A Roth conversion might not seem like the best idea because yeah. it increases your current taxable income. Which is a sin when it comes to tax preparers, right? Yeah, and I get it. And sometimes that might be true. So <laughs> transition this. A Roth conversion could be an awesome idea. And it's something that almost everyone with traditional assets should consider yeah. every year. But Caleb, it can cause you a whole bunch of taxes. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance in this. So not only can it cause you a lot of taxes, but if you screw this up, it could be 
devastating quite really honestly. because what we're trying to do is lower your lifetime taxes exactly the the purpose of this in general is pay less taxes long term right but if you do this wrong you could pay pay more tax you could pay more taxes right now and later and later <laughs> and really mess everything up or pay so sure. much taxes now that you negate all the benefit of possibly saving on taxes right. later so caleb let's talk about some of the ways that you can screw up a roth conversion or maybe we should talk about how to actually do what the the logistics are of doing one yeah and then talk about like the rules that that commonly get people with roth conversions. yeah so i would say that for most people you can follow these rules do it the right way and you're okay but then there are certain things that people don't uh consider in their situation that it's usually too little too late that they do consider it and uh uh-oh now it bites them so as far as the process goes, we're going through this right now as a firm. Uh, it's now November, and we are right in the middle of doing Roth conversions for our clients. This is a good time of year to to start thinking about this. Tax planning starts. Uh, you know, a lot of people think tax season starts uh, in January, February, whatever, when they start to get their tax forms. But really, tax planning starts now. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> there could be. You could argue that it starts January. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, but as far as logistics of a Roth conversion, uh, you know, we don't want to screw up and cut mm-hmm. it too close to the deadline. So we're working on this right now. Um, yeah. Our, our entire firm is working through this. So let's talk a little bit. Well, heck, you wrote a stinking workflow <laughs> as far as the steps go. So why don't you walk us through a little bit um, what steps uh, in order to I mean, it's it sounds simple. But there's a lot of nuance. Well, I'll say I'll say the simple version just so people kind of get an idea. So we've kind of said what is a Roth conversion. We said why you would want to do one. How to do it mm-hmm. is uh, fairly simple. You identify how much of your IRA you want to convert to a Roth IRA. And how do you do that, though? Well, that's the hard speaking. part. Like identifying <laughs> the amount. That is the really hard part. Yeah. So I, I, that's where that's where you really, frankly, can mess it up really yep. bad. Uh, so bear with me. We'll come back to that. Okay. So. We know we want to convert $10,000. Maybe you just made it up because you're like, whatever, that's a good number. Or you're like, that's all I have in a traditional IRA. I want to convert the whole thing. Let's just say that's what's happening. Uh, After you figured that up, you will contact whoever holds your IRA. And you you will have to open a Roth IRA if you don't have one already. And then you will convert that money usually there's a form every custodian has or, mm-hmm. or broker dealer whoever you're whatever you're using they have a form that bank facilitates a conversion because they have to code that for yeah. the irs as a conversion not as a contribution uh because not as a distribution yes. and then a contribution because then you run into the 10 percent yeah. penalty so it needs to be coded right that's another yeah. way that this yeah. can be screwed up but usually the custodian will code it right with their form for a conversion and that'll show up right. It'll all be kosher with the IRS. Which is why I think it's tricky to just walk into your bank and say, I want to do this because they no they're not to trained it. to do this stuff. Yeah. And what quite simply could happen is they think, okay, well, let's do the withdrawal. Yeah. You'll get a 1099. You'll pay the taxes. Then we'll do a contribution. Well, okay, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's not factor in the 10% uh, penalty for a withdrawal. Yeah. And let's not consider the fact that you can't contribute $10,000 to an IRA. Yeah. A, uh, a mentor. And there's penalties for doing that a mentor of mine who has a podcast he said i could call him oh. a mentor i've never actually talked to him at the perfect ria podcast so if you're ah, in the business okay. they're just yeah, like yeah. hey refer to us as a mentor anyway from listening to that podcast he had a client with a huge roth conversion that mm-hmm. the cpa didn't know was a roth conversion because the other firm the, the he must not have had it at his firm coded it wrong mm-hmm. so the cpa just put it in as a distribution oh. cost them so much extra taxes 
that it broke everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a nightmare there. So watch out for that. But anyway, yeah. you'll have that put in with your custodian. They'll code it right and they'll move it. They'll take money from your IRA and put it into your Roth IRA. The contribution bit is important. We didn't talk about this. Contributions are limited based on your income, mm-hmm. based on uh, your age, mm-hmm. based on you know you just the regular Roth IRA limits. You're going to put maximum of $7,000 a year yeah. as a contribution into a Roth. $6,000 if you're under 50 right now as of 2021. Mm-hmm. For a conversion, there is no limit, right? which is nice, a nice little loophole. And we'll get into backdoor Roth contributions probably in a different episode. But Although I think we should touch on this at some point a little bit. Okay, just a smidgen. Okay. Just a smidgen, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one because it'll be based on your yeah. age. But, so anyway, you've converted this. It doesn't matter how much it was. You've just decided because out of random, we haven't even talked about how to determine that. Uh, they put the money in there. It's good to go. It grows in a Roth IRA. It, it, it's done. You're yeah. done. Uh, you will get uh, any amount that you converted will show up on your taxes mm-hmm. as ordinary income. Which could move you up a tax bracket. Yep. Which could it will which be is why you need income, to be careful. Which is why you need to figure <laughs> that up. So let's go into how you could how do you figure out how much you should convert in a year? Well, we've we've set it uh, as a firm standard here. Look, we think that they're it's a great idea to do Roth conversions. Uh, most people that have traditional assets should consider it uh, to some extent. However, I'm not gonna touch it. I'm not even gonna think about it unless you bring me your tax returns. I have to know you know, if if X, then Y, right? Yeah. I have to know how much. I, I you got to back into the number. You can't just say, "Oh, you've got a hundred thousand dollar IRA." Well, let's just do twenty five this year. Yeah, you need to know. This is the hardest part about doing a Roth conversion uh-huh. accurately, because because like we said earlier, the whole idea is to save money on taxes over your lifetime. Well, we already have one problem. We don't exactly know what tax rates are going to be in no. the future, but. Like our poll said, most people think it's going higher, <laughs> and, uh, or at least our poll of you and I. So that's already one hurdle to get over. The other one is you have to know what your income is going to be for the year, yeah. which is why we don't do this typically until closer to the end of the year. Right. Uh, right. Because people get bonuses. They uh-huh. get windfalls somehow, extra income. Maybe they inherited an IRA that they had to take distributions from. Stuff like that pops up. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what your income is for the year... You could make a big mistake. If you have a a high income year, let's say this current year when you're considering a Roth conversion, and next year it's very likely, almost certain, that you'll have much less income, mm-hmm. it might make sense to wait. Yep. Unless <laughs> we had, there's been a lot of legislation right now to uh, put forward. Nothing has passed proposed yet. Proposed legislation. There's been a lot of proposed yeah. legislation. One of the uh, propo- proposed uh was it a bill? It was a bill. Yeah. One of the proposed bills was eliminating Roth conversions altogether. Mm. That seems to have fallen to the floor, so we're not worried about it. But that well, was causing people that to think about That was what was proposed, more. and then it was proposed under a cer- or over a certain income amount, and yes. then it's completely fallen off the table at this point. But that could happen at any year. So that sure. could cause you to be like, I'm going to do it now. I'm just going to take the hit now. But you have to know what your income is going to be for this year so you can project how much tax liability yeah. you're going to incur from converting because that's important you don't want to try to save money over your tax lifetime and pay the top bracket right now yeah, you, don't you don't want to have to you don't want to accidentally push yourself up into a higher tax bracket when you can say wait, wait a minute maybe we wait next year because we're not selling a farm next year and we're not doing this or that yeah. next year whatever right what yeah. and and uh so that's it's a it's this is a tax planning move Yes. And you can't take planning out of it. So it's like anything that's worth doing. Take your time and do it right or don't do it. So that's why I say from from the get-go, 
I can talk to you about why these are great ideas. I can show you how it works. But unless I see your tax returns and we have an idea of where you're going to fall, I could do more damage by just saying, yep, let's just convert this now. Now, okay, if you've got a $3,000 IRA, probably not a big deal, right? Yeah, but probably um, not. that's not usually who we're talking about when we're looking at these big Roth conversions. So. Right. Caleb, another another huge mistake that happens in doing these conversions that I see come up sometimes is just not thinking about tax penalties. We, yeah. we had a whole episode talking about paying your income tax rate when you take a withdrawal, why, why it's bad to take early withdrawals from your retirement accounts. Well, if you do a Roth conversion... We, I just said earlier, you don't pay the 10% tax penalty. Mm-hmm. You do pay income taxes on that amount that you converted. That's why we're planning so well. And it's ordinary income taxes. And it, yes, it's yes. ordinary income taxes. It'll just pile right on. If you made $100,000 and you do a $30,000 Roth conversion, for tax purposes, you made $130,000 that uh-huh. year. Something that is often glossed over, especially by people doing this on their own, mm-hmm. is tax withholding. If I do a Roth conversion from my traditional IRA... Mm-hmm. On that form that I get from my broker dealer is probably going to ask if I want to withhold taxes. And you might be like, well, yeah, I don't want to have to have a big tax bill at the end of the year. Let's withhold 20% taxes off of my conversion right now. Yeah. What happens to that conversion, Caleb? You know, you're gritting your teeth. The the, the 20% withholding, that's withheld. So you feel feel good. All right. I'm not going to have to pay this up. Uh, There's a penalty on that, though. Because <laughs> it's a premature distribution. Because it's a premature distribution at that point. So you you could really be uh, screwing the pooch there. Yeah. If well, I guess I didn't say it. this is if you're under retirement under age. Under retirement this is an early age, withdrawal, right. under fifty nine and a half. If you're we'll we'll get to how you can screw it up if you're over retirement age here yeah. real quick. But yeah, it, you know, withholding taxes it sounds like a good idea. However, yeah, you can run into that that point where you're holding back money for taxes and penalty. Going again, I'm going to go back to the compounding episode then. Yeah, that's less money that's going into the Roth. So, one of the other things we got to look at for the most part is do you have non qualified funds or other assets to just pay the taxes on this? Because realistically, when you do this conversion, if you've got a hundred thousand, you want a hundred thousand going from traditional to Roth, you don't want eighty thousand going right. You want to get Roth. as much as you can, right? In your Roth IRA. Um, but the penalty is the big one. Yeah, I think that most people, when that question is presented, do you want us to withhold any protection? Well, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's I don't just want get it out of the way. Bill. And exactly. you know, something that's that's another hurdle to clear is if you do a large Roth conversion, you could be triggering an uh, estimated taxes or quarterly taxes right, that you have to do. Right. You could be facing... And there's under- a penalty for not doing yeah, that when you could, you're supposed yeah, to. You, know, you could wait until tax time in April and then the IRS dings you with an underpayment penalty yep. because you you didn't withhold enough taxes. You withheld taxes for $100,000 of income, but you had 200000 because right. you had a $100,000 Roth conversion. Yep. Yeah. Estimated taxes is a real racket, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no i mean if you think you're adding ordinary income so from the irs perspective well you under withheld yeah you should have been paying estimated taxes if that's the case the irs doesn't like you to wait all the way till the no. end of the year and then settle up then with they're them, more than happy some. waiting a full year to give you your refund when you overpay but it does Absolutely. not go the other way just so you know when you get your tax refund, you're not getting a penalty also from the IRS for yeah. them over withholding. I'm sorry, no. we over withheld. We shouldn't yeah. have taken this much money. It only from you. works one way. So, <laughs> yeah, that that's a really important one to think about, Jason. But I I think, and I'm I'm glad you went there because I immediately in my head go another place and think, well, what about when you're Medicare age, right? Yeah. And now you're adding a bunch of income. How can that? How can a Roth conversion at age 65 and beyond? And I get it. 
you know, at 65, you're retired. You yeah. think, oh, required minimum distributions are coming up at age mm-hmm. 72. Let's get out in front of this. Yeah, let's get this out here. My taxes are maybe lower because I'm not earning yeah. as much money. I'm not working. But how can we screw up our Medicare and other things, This Jason? is Yeah, this is a big one. They're, Medicare will, will penalize you for making too much money for an entire year. And they don't care where your income comes from. No, if they your don't. income comes from a Roth conversion, you could possibly bump yourself up into a Medicare surcharge where you're paying an extra $100, $200, $300, $300 a month. Yeah. And so we're talking about a three or $4,000 a year mistake that you could make. That's a premium for the Roth conversion. Yeah. Right? You did a Roth conversion and now you have to pay Medicare an extra four grand. Yep. You got to watch out for that when you're, when you're over Medicare age. That's something to, to look for. So, so instead of instead of just watching out for jumping up a tax bracket, we don't have to worry about withholding and getting a ten percent tax penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go ahead and do that if you want, but you do have to watch out for getting a Medicare surcharge, yeah. which is even more painful because unless you know for a fact that you are going to save four thousand dollars in taxes over your lifetime, it's probably not a good idea to guarantee <laughs> having to pay right. four thousand more dollars on Medicare. And I can tell you what. A client of mine will be a lot more upset yeah. that I cost them $4,000 in Medicare than that I saved them $4,000 in taxes when they take distributions 10 years from now. Agreed. And that, that always goes back to clients always remember how much extra you cost them in taxes. They never forget how much you might have made. That's a That goes back <laughs> to a psychological uh, discovery. Who did I think That might have been Daniel Kahneman that you feel a loss twice as much as you feel a gain so of the same amount like i I don't know if i've mentioned this on the podcast but when i was working in the bank channel i i remember there was a a client who i just couldn't make happy and i don't know we i think we made around a hundred thousand dollars that year Mm -hmm. and he called me around tax time and left a message and said i'm upset we need to talk and i go what in the world could we be upset about yeah, we made too much money last year. You cost me an extra forty five hundred dollars in federal taxes. I go, <laughs> we made a hundred grand. What are we what are we talking about here? But that just goes to show you that yeah. you remember how much someone causes you to pay an extra taxes and penalties yeah. a lot more than you remember how much they might have made you. <laughs> if there are any advisors <laughs> listening. Another yeah. reason why you want to handle this with kid gloves, you want to be careful with yeah. this. Well, you can apply um, this to your own personal situation too, absolutely. because it'll cause like these some psychological biases yeah. that we have that might not make a lot of sense, uh, but they act on all of us. You're going to feel a loss twice as hard as you'll feel a gain of the same exact amount. Yep. On average, in that case, it was multiples of it. But I, we can all apply that. If you screw this up, you're going to be like Roth conversions are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> they're not stupid. We just sometimes make mistakes as people calculating the actual cost. Yeah. They're not stupid if executed properly. We see a lot of poorly executed conversions. Yeah. It's like good intentions. Yeah. Right. But yeah. not not executed well. So. Right. right. There are a lot of ways you can screw it up, Jason. There's so many. Here's another one we didn't even talk about that I we have to get into. I don't want to go long and bore everyone with Roth conversions, but this is a big one. It's referred to as the cream in the coffee rule. Oh, by the IRS. you can't. Yeah, we can't talk about this without talking. We about have to the talk about this because a lot of people that Google. But I thought you wanted the backdoor Roth conversation for a different episode, Jason. Well, this still applies on Roth conversions, kind of. Kind of. Let's hear I it. I do want it for a different episode. <laughs> Explain in two minutes or less the cream of the, co- some cream people, the coffee. Okay? Some people have non-deductible They make too IRAs. much money. 
and they make too much money. They yeah, can't deduct just, their contributions. Yes, that's a great way to put and it. And they can't make Roth contributions. Because they make too much money. Because they make too much money. These yes. these folks do this and they have non-deductible contributions. And they might have that in a 401k over and above the deduction. They might have it in an IRA that they just did non-deductible contributions to. I've got a lot of folks that have this. Why would you do that, Jason? So that you can make a Roth contribution. <laughs> okay, a backdoor bingo. Roth contribution. <laughs> Thank you. And the problem is... You can't convert just the stuff that you want to, just the non-deductible stuff. Yeah, you can't say I have these traditional assets and 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 these non-deductible traditional assets. I only want to convert this over here. Yeah, the cream in the coffee. It's like pouring cream into the coffee. It's, it taints the whole yeah. bit. Yeah, you can't separate it. Nope. So you have to do it proportionally. So I've seen people do a non-deductible IRA for $6,000, $7,000 yep. one year. They got a $400,000 IRA over here and they're like, I'm going to just, I'm going to convert the non-deductible stuff because I didn't pay tax. I already paid taxes on it anyway. That's my backdoor Roth. Nope, can't do it. You have to do some of your other stuff and pay extra taxes on it in a proportionate manner. So if you've got a 7,000 versus 400,000, what's seven divided by 400? That's the percent of the non-deductible you can put in. It's small. So watch out for that. Yeah. But that really should be an episode. We're going to do an episode on backdoor Roth uh-huh. contributions because everyone, there are Because it sounds like it's going to remain going into next year. Yeah, no. I think it's going to keep it, they existing. They almost killed it. <laughs> so you've got you've got a bunch of traditional assets and you just want to put it into a Roth. That's a Roth conversion. We're going to talk about how do you get money into a Roth IRA if you make too much money to qualify for a Roth IRA. We'll do that in a different episode. Stay tuned. Okay, so moving on to the next point, Jason. Uh, we talked a lot about screwing things up, but yeah. uh, when should you really be considering a Roth conversion? Uh, you know, uh, we do it mostly at the end of the year with our clients, but when I when you were talking about it earlier, I was saying January makes a lot of sense. There is a good case to be made for a barbell strategy, doing a chunk at the beginning of the year and a chunk at the end of the year, Okay, if you think you can predict your income pretty well. It, the problem is, the reason we do it towards the end of the year is because we have a lot better idea of what people's income is going to be. Uh-huh. At the beginning of the year... It's chaotic, but it goes back to our compounding episode, Caleb. If you do a Roth conversion in January versus December, you are increasing the amount of time that your money is invested Mm -hmm. tax-free, Yeah, and that's better. There's also a case to be made for doing it at a huge market sell-off because you can convert shares of something. I was hoping you would go here because when you said (laughs) when and then you talked about dates, I was thinking in my mind completely like what situation. Yeah, what scenarios. Market sell-off is a great situation. So let's go back to the last market sell-off that we remember. The COVID crash. That was a big one. March of 2020. Yeah. The market went from, you know, S&P went 35% uh, lower than its its high, right? Mm -hmm. Great time to do a conversion. Absolutely. Because you don't have to just convert a dollar amount. You can convert shares. Well, your $100,000 IRA may have been $65,000, yep. right? And in a month, it was back to $100,000 again. Why not convert at 65 and pay the taxes on the 65? Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, so Great when the, time. When the blue light is flashing and everything is on sale and yeah. all, of your, all of your stocks are discounted and your, your account value has dropped a lot, let's look at the silver lining and let's work that tax code. Work that tax code and realize the market doesn't send off a flare when it's, it's hit the bottom. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> <But> there, <laughs> there's a certain point where you go, eh, yeah, I don't is, think this is the end of the world after all. Let's do this. I think actually, uh, I don't proclaim to be some kind of uh, fortune teller or a Nostradamus. No, but when when the S and P went thirty five percent below its all time high, I went capitulation. This is the bottom. I mean, come on here, yeah, folks. I mean, really? I probably said that at twenty, but yeah, still, it would have been better to do it then. Than I remember now, talking to you on the phone, going, "I don't know, Jason. This feels like capitulation day, doesn't it?" 
I yeah, I mean, it was I was in my well. laundry room, my yeah. laundry room, working with my laptop, Coping hearing the from home. Oh, oh, of the dryer going. I think this is capitulation day. I feel really smart in my laundry room. That's a great time. Another great time would be. I, I look at it like this, turning lemons into lemonade. Life gives you lemons. You got to make the best of it. Yes. Uh, I had some clients who, unfortunately, during the same scenario, yeah, lost their jobs. Yeah, lots of unemployment happened. Income went down. So that's a great time to do a Roth conversion because you, can, you have more power there to fill up your tax bracket. You can do a bigger conversion yeah. and not skip a beat if your income is less, especially if you know you're going to bounce back in the next year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Especially then. And right on that, another great time to consider a Roth conversions is when you your income drops because maybe you've retired and you're yes. starting to live off of your investment income. Mm-hmm. Those years between retirement and required minimum distribution age are great times to be converting stuff before Uncle Sam makes you pay taxes on it. You can kind of control the spigot beforehand. Yeah. So when else would we consider a Roth conversion? I'm thinking in my head of that client who is not looking forward to required minimum distributions, who looks me in the eye and says, look, Caleb, I'm never going to spend this money. Mm -hmm. What should we do here? Roth conversion, why? You're leaving it to your kids. You're leaving it to family. It's part of your estate plan because... They won't have to pay taxes on it. Right. So you can inherit a Roth IRA and not pay the taxes. Yeah. The Secure Act of 2019 was uh, over, um, was obscured by the, the COVID stuff yeah. uh, just a couple of months later. But um, the stretch IRA is dead and gone. If you pass away and your kids inherit your IRA, mm-hmm. uh, they can no longer stretch that over their lifetime. So if your plan is to leave money on to the next generation... Let's just, and I, I this is the way I, I, exactly how I deal with, with clients on this. You're never going to spend this money. Okay, so let's think about this. When do most people pass away? 70s, 80s, 90s? 90s yeah. Okay. How old are your children typically? 40s, 50s, 50s 60s. 60s. And they are probably in their prime earning years, yeah, right? Highest earning. Highest, highest taxes that they've ever paid, highest bracket that they've ever been in. They inherit this IRA. You think, I'm going to do my kids a favor. Well, no longer are they able to stretch that out over their lifetime. Now they have to clean it out within 10 years, mm-hmm. okay? So let's just think about this. You inherit a million-dollar IRA. You're 55 years old, right? You're mm-hmm. in your prime earning years. You're 10 years away from retirement. You've got to clean that baby out over the next 10 years, and let's just say the market doesn't grow and you're looking at taking out $100,000 every year. That's tacking on $100,000 on top of your current taxable ordinary income. You're already paying the most taxes you've ever paid. Who does this work out for? This is a great deal for Uncle Sam, isn't it? Yeah. They move the RMD age up to 72, and this is where they got you. Yeah, it's a great way to pay more taxes. (laughs) Yeah. So the idea (laughs) of converting Roths, when you realize... You are not going to rely on these assets for income at some point. You want to pass on a legacy to your family, you know, to your children. Mm -hmm. This is a great way. If you're going to do someone a favor, do them a favor. Yeah. If you're in your highest earning years and you're in the highest tax bracket you've ever been and you need to clean out a Roth IRA over 10 years, but you're not adding the taxable income, now you're doing somebody a favor. So I look at that as another one. Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great. Uh, reason to be doing uh, Roth conversions, especially if your income is a lot lower in those years. A lot of people from 70 Absolutely. to 90 are, you know, they're not spending as much out well, of their investments as they have. Or you been. can you can at least control your income with yeah. withdrawals, right? Yeah, you can be more tax efficient. Yeah. With it. That's great, Caleb. 
Where should you do a Roth conversion? Northwest Ohio. <laughs> Defiance, Ohio, to be exact. Blue Jay Financial Group is a great place to start because we have three, count them, three competent financial professionals. <laughs> I think that's the key, though. Work with a competent financial professional who is looking into all these details, yeah. like your taxes, your current bracket, your projected brackets. I need to see the taxes before I can tell you to move, right? It's, yeah, it's complicated. And if you go to a lot of advisors, they're going to be like, well, make sure you talk to your CPA and yes. just tell me how much you need to do. And then nobody does. But talk to a, a tax <laughs> professional that will walk through all of this stuff. You need to know we, what your income is. We have year. been in their shoes, Jason. We've mm-hmm. worked at bank broker dealers and said, you know, a Roth, idea, uh, Roth conversion could be a really good idea for you. And they said, great, tell me more about it. Well, I can't. I'm not allowed to give tax Will advice. you please talk to your tax person and get back to yeah. me? Let me know how much you want to do. They bring it up to their tax person. They go, why would you pay more taxes now? <laughs> Move right. along. Right? That's right. Working with a competent tax professional, someone who is not afraid or qualified, more importantly, to yeah. give tax advice. Yeah, because this decision takes into account what your plans are over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. It is not just a what to do this year to save the most on taxes this year. It's to save taxes over your lifetime. There are so many variables. It is confusing. You need to have a competent professional. There are a lot of... This is like dominoes. If you screw up one thing, it knocks down a lot of the other dominoes. You have to make sure that you've got a well-thought-out plan of attack when you're doing a Roth conversion. I don't want to scare people out of doing them because I I think some folks say, oh, you could screw Mm -hmm. up a lot of stuff. It's not worth the risk. It absolutely is worth the risk. If it's done correctly, yeah. you have to have a plan. So this is the, the most important thing in all of this. You don't wanna you don't wanna end up in a cream in the coffee rule. Yeah. You don't wanna end up in a Medicare surcharge rule. Yeah. You, you don't wanna end up in these situations. The only way to get around that is to work with somebody that knows what they're talking about and can give you this advice, and it is tax advice. Yeah. It, it's gonna take into account your your deductions, your charitable contributions. It's gonna take yeah. into account your income fluctuations, bonuses, sales of businesses, sales of farms. It's gonna take into account how much you have in your IRAs, what your projected tax rate is going to be through retirement. Because we know what your expenses are going to be through retirement. We know what kind of things you want to do. There are so many variables. It's confusing. It should kind of scare people from doing it. It should. It um, should. Because you can really mess it up. And you shouldn't just do it. And by the way, do it. if your advisor is not scared or not careful with this, be afraid. Yeah. Or if they don't bring it up at all, <laughs> be concerned. But but they should be, if, if, they're, if they're on board with it, they should be, they should have a healthy fear of taxes when they're doing this. Yeah. If they don't, they might not understand it, which is really, really important. So, you know, I hear all the time, I think that most people assume that we as financial advisors get paid to give investment advice. Here is where we earn our fees, folks. This is one of the reasons that we charge our fee. So not that this is a commercial. I don't know. It's a podcast about finance. I guess it kind (laughs) of is a commercial, but this is where we're talking about big time tax savings over the course of your lifetime. I feel like if we take care of this for folks, nobody's going to argue with me about, you know, not beating the market by 1% this year, right? Yeah. This is how we justify our fee, folks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Caleb, let's distill it down with some calls to action and the stuff that we talked about. We did go through what is a Roth conversion? Why would you do one? How could you do it? How could you screw it up? When should you do it? And where you should do it? Let's distill that down for folks. Yeah, yeah. I think the the biggest thing is if you've got traditional assets, 
especially if you have time on your side, you should be considering this and asking questions. Ask your financial advisor. Get your tax person involved. The more involved they are, we don't want to surprise the tax guy yeah. in, in February <laughs> with this, right? Yeah, that increases the chances of them not knowing what happened and then yeah. just counting it as a distribution and you paying extra in taxes. But if you have traditional assets, this is something you should be considering, okay? Yeah, almost every tax year, right? That's yeah. You should think absolutely. about it. Absolutely. You should see and it might be a quick thought, be like, nope, not this year. I make way too much money this year. Uh, but at least you considered it. I'd say the second thing, Caleb, is to get help from a competent professional. It might be hard to find. You can find somebody that talks about financial planning. There are probably CPAs that will help you do yeah. this. Tax preparers that might specialize in tax strategy. I'm most certified financial planners will do it. Any financial advisor that is allowed to give tax advice should be doing this because it's a huge value add. It is, in my opinion, it's it's you're, you're almost you're almost being negligent if you're not talking about it with people. The, yeah. the problem is this doesn't make a financial advisor any extra money. No, because there's no new investments to sell. Usually. In fact, we're talking about paying taxes now. This is probably paying financial advisors less in yeah. the short term. So I, I think that probably disincentivizes a lot of financial advisors yeah. to talk about it. Also because you're really like putting yourself out there to make a mistake. True. It's a lot of work for only <laughs> reward for the client. But still, find somebody that loves doing this that will help you. That could be somebody that bills hourly. If you, yeah. if you, if you like to manage all your stuff on your own, we would do that probably because like, it's just a one-time sure. consulting fee uh, for folks. Find a competent, certified, somebody that's got bona fide letters after their name that can help you with this. Yeah, and, and I also would throw in, if, if it doesn't make sense this year, that doesn't mean it won't make sense next year. And That's we talked about right. a lot of the, you know, when you should do a Roth conversion, market sell-offs, job, job change, all these kinds of things. This is something that should be on the radar every year if you have traditional assets. Yep. Um, I tell clients, we're going to talk about this once a year, and it might not apply at all. Yeah. You might think, why would we talk about this this year? And next year, we're going to talk about it again because it might make a whole heck of a lot of sense. That's right. You should consider it every year until Congress makes it illegal. <laughs> well, they were thinking about that this year. But, uh, you know, two out of the last three administrations have tried to get rid of it and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, so We're, we're still good so far. Yeah. Too many rich people using it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Hey, man, that's great. That's great. I think that does it for today. I think so. Thanks for having a drink with us this week, folks. It's time to close out the tab. If you have a question or a topic that you want addressed on the Old Fashioned Finance podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's bluejfg.com and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers. Cheers. Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein 
are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation.